Okay, last week we were at Revelation 13. We're going to begin there again and move quickly into 14. Both of them need to be looked at side by side. Uh, I wanted to pause and ask, uh, I know this might be a little different point of view for Revelation that some of you may have heard before. Are, are there any questions? Is it clouding to you? Is it? I, I just want to make sure I'm coming across. Is this helpful? As theologians say, are you edified? All right. Revelation 13. John wrote, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's feet bears and its mouth like a lion's mouth and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority one of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, utterly haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It, opens its, opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has, a hear, has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive... To captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Then I saw the beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast and its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to the earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and lived. And it was allowed to give the breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the, of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead 
so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who was, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Come on in. You're all right. We're just doing a quick review. Now, last week in chapter 13, we saw John's description of vision. These are visions. These are not... All right, I say this cautiously. These are not prophecies. These are visions. Now, things that these visions describe will happen we talked last week that this beast rising up out of the sea with 10 diadems on its heads and on its on its horns seven heads and 10 diadems on its horns represented a political influence a political force and it talks about how this political force becomes worldwide Now, for the people in ancient Rome, particularly the Christians there, Rome was the world. And John is describing Rome as this political beast. It was oppressive. It was idolatrous. It was evil. It was under the control and influence of Satan. So, yes, he was talking about a specific political influence. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. We might have more improved technology. We might have more modern conveniences. We might be a lot more comfortable. We might even be more productive, which I think that is questionable. But we are all sinners, just like they were. We are all prone to be idolatrous, just like they were. So we may see the same kind of thing today, and I think we are seeing it now. A beast rising out of the sea. You know, when you think of some enormous beast, you're just overwhelmed. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it. It's going to have its way. Can't outrun it. If it's a bear, the only thing you can do is play dead and hope it just kind of sniffs you, slaps you around a little bit and moves on. But this is not a natural bear. John describes this beast under the authority of Satan as something that this world worships. And we're seeing that today, a political influence that has turned the lost part of this world, has turned it into a religion. Atheism is a religion. Communism is a religion. And they're not far divided. They have turned it into a religion. And 
they worshiped the dragon and we see the same thing today the lost a worshiping political influence and it's disastrous now what we are seeing in chapter 13 is kind of john's vision of what's going on in the world in chapter 14 we want to see what john's vision tells us about what's going on in glory not in the future but in John's day, and even in ours day. Chapter 14. Then I looked and beheld, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard the voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And these who have not, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It, it is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, these have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Now John's vision of the things going on in earth are dark and under the influence of Satan. And you and I know Paul as... Paul had written in the book of Ephesians that he is the spirit, spirit of the power, of the spirit of the power of the air, or the or the power of the spirit of the air. He's kind of given control of this world in a limited fashion. He still does not use move without the Lord's permission, but he holds a very powerful influence in the world today, because until they receive Christ as their Savior, the hearts of men belong to Him. Everybody wants Jesus, wants to be wants Christians to be just as nice as Jesus. They need to go back and read Matthew 23. How many times He called them hypocrites. He even told them you are of your father, the devil. Jesus wasn't very nice. He was honest. But he was calling people to repentance, always. For he came to redeem them, and he was not going to let them live the way they were living. What we are seeing in chapter 14 is a comparative vision. You've you got to take 13 and 14 side by side and look at them both. And in, of course, in chapter 13, as I said, there is a dark influence over the world. In chapter 14, we're seeing a victorious, glorious Savior with the people whom he has redeemed. You must 
And I'm convinced the more and more I study this, you must go with the symbolic interpretation of John's language. You must. He's talking about events that do happen, that are happening, that will happen. But he is using symbolic language, figurative language, visions, metaphors, similes. I'm not denying what is being taught here. It's just being described to us. It's called apocalyptic language. It is a literary genre. We are not going to see a seven-headed dragon with ten horns appear. Not going to happen. But something that hideous probably is already in place. And it is governments that are opposed to the Lord God Almighty. So in contrast to that, John gives us the image of Christ, the Lamb of God, standing in heaven with his people. And that 144,000, everybody thinks, oh, remember when we looked at it earlier, I believe it was chapter 7, talking about that number. They described it as a number that could not be numbered. It was just representative as a symbolic number that is complete and perfect, and that's all there is. But it still could not be numbered. That's what John is talking about here. We have, to, we have to be a little flexible in our understanding, in our wisdom, as we discern this. The Antichrist seems to reign supreme on earth. And in chapter 14, Christ is always present on Zion. In chapter 13, the beast is lording over all of the earth. In chapter 14, the Lamb is standing magnificently and in full authority, even over the beast. In chapter 13, countless hordes worship the beast. 144,000 in chapter 14 belong to the Lamb and are giving Him praise. In chapter 13, those who follow the beast receive a mark. chapter 14, those who follow the Lamb are also marked. They are sealed. In chapter 13, it becomes a lost cause for the righteous because they are doomed. Chapter 14, eternal victory is secured. It is assured. It is promised. It is fulfilled. So you have to take both chapters together, side by side. Where did I leave off in chapter 14? Did I read all the way through verse 5? I'm having a good time. Six? Okay. So John... Verses 1 through 5, John gives a vision of the victorious Lamb on Zion 
with his chosen, with his redeemed, and remember this is symbolic. Let me just, for clarity's sake, let me back up. This is one of those verses, one of those proof texts that the Roman Catholic Church uses that, oh no, we shouldn't marry. If we want to be pure and perfect before God, we shouldn't marry. They're wrong. This is symbolic language. It is to these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Again, this is figurative language. In the Old Testament, any time the Lord spoke through the prophets to Israel on the subject of their idolatry, it was always equivocated or explained as adultery. Spiritual adultery is described as fornication. Adultery, physical adultery. I mean, they're, they are both that wicked. One thing that marriage is supposed to teach us is faithfulness to one. And we translate that to our Lord above, faithfulness to one. Forever. That's one thing that marriage teaches us. And God has blessed marriage. He has ordained it for our good. So he cannot be talking about a celibate lifestyle here. He is just talking about being faithful to him, not being idolatrous in your life. Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul... A very familiar text. Ephesians 5, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not ever be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, 
Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Paul understands what John is teaching. We who are in Christ should live clean lives. Excuse me. Obedient lives. I'll have to edit that out. There is uh, another place where Paul gives an admonition, I believe, to Timothy, where he tells him, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. And I've heard, and you probably have too, a lot of people in this world who use profane language kind of apologize by using that salt. <laughs> well, even the Bible says you're supposed to use a little salt. That's not what he means. In Paul's day, salt was something that was valuable. they paid many Roman soldiers with salt. Not with shekels or drachmas or whatever they used. They used salt. Where do you think the word salary comes from? So salt was something that had value. It had worth. And in that day and time, it was not... It was, it was not... Not so much seasoning. It was a preservative. It stopped decay. Or prevented it. Or slowed it down. You've all had salt pork. If you were up in the north. North Midwest. You'd probably have salt fish. I remember a couple of years ago we saw one of them those series on public television about uh, historical reenactment where they get a bunch of volunteers to live the way they did a hundred years ago. And this particular one was a New England fishing town somewhere in Maine. Okay, we're going to have five of you, five of you families go up here. You're not going to have any electricity. You're gonna, we're going to give you a fishing boat, and we're going to give you a week to learn how to fish, and then you're on your own. And see how long you last. And this one family, he, he w went out and he brought in, he was one of the first ones to bring in a good haul of fish. But then when he put them away in the fish house, you know, he cleaned them and put them away, he didn't use enough salt. He knew he had to use salt, but he didn't use enough salt. And they all rotted. So when the Apostle Paul uses the words, well, let your language be seasoned with salt, he's, let your words have value. And may your words also stop decay in this world. That's what John is talking about here. 
they did not defile themselves. They followed the Lamb wherever they went. They have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. So then, verse 6 of chapter 14. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwelt on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Here is a last minute call to repentance. You want to be forgiven of your sins? This is the last minute call to repentance. We're not quite sure how that's going to happen. John describes it as an angel. But somehow, some way, the gospel will be proclaimed strongly, powerfully. I would like to say it's, it's got to come spiritually. Whether God wants to use television or radio or internet, I don't know. But it will be proclaimed. Here's the angel proclaiming a gospel message. Here's another angel that comes by saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. In John's day, the code word for Rome was Babylon. John is giving to those who have been persecuted for the sake of Christ, those who are being oppressed for the sake of Christ, those who are being ostracized for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, excuse me, understood what he was talking about. Babylon has fallen. It's been defeated. Now I know in that time they from an earthly point of view they couldn't see it. And from an earthly point of view when we look at this world today it's hard to see. But we must remember the first part of chapter 14. Christ the Lamb is standing in Zion with his chosen. And we are among that number. Well, I'm not dead yet. You're alive in Christ. You've got to understand you are alive in Christ. Though you're still here on this earth, you are alive in Christ. Forever. You remember when the Apostle Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight? We're seeing a lot of things in this world that would discourage us. 
oh, this is just hopeless. This it's just going. To, we're going to be defeated. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to be. Yeah, yes. There's persecution. There always has been persecution. There is persecution around the world today. We don't hear about it because the news media doesn't want to report that kind of thing. They won't, don't want to report the Muslims who are going in and slaughtering believing believers in villages and taking their wives and their daughters as sex slaves. We don't want to hear that. Or the news media doesn't want to see it. It's not newsworthy, but it's happening. And we get a little fretful when we see a little light persecution in the States. We have not yet suffered to bloodshed, brothers and sisters. There are those in this world who have. That's why in chapter 13 says, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. We walk by faith, believing that our life is there, not here. We do not walk by sight. Babylon is fallen. This world is fallen. I'm hesitating because I'm about to say something I might regret. The Communistic Democratic Party has fallen. The unbelieving Republicans are fallen. I'm not yet going to say America has fallen, but in God's sight, perhaps it has. Our justice system is rotten. Our entertainment system is compromised and immoral and unjust. So we have one angel giving the gospel message and another angel declaring judgment. In verse 9, another angel and a third, another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of with fire and salt presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of his name here is a call for endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. 
Remember in chapter 13, where was that? The end of verse 10 here is a call for the endurance of the faith of the saints. Again in chapter 13, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith. That's why these two chapters must be looked at together. They balance out one another and they give us the message that we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's borrowing symbolic language. It's using symbolic language, borrowing from the imagery of the Old Testament. Yeah. That when when the Old Testament Jews did that, they were uh, they were trying to be obedient to the command to worship the Lord with all your mind, heart, and strength. That's, that's what they were doing. And it was a public display of it. I'm a good Hebrew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. The sin nature is... You get a group of people calling to allow certain levels of morality to be permitted, and that's the beast right there. And we've already we're seeing it now in in abortion. We're seeing it now in uh, pornography and all kinds of immorality. We're seeing it in lifestyles and behaviors that they think should be allowed. It yeah. It's a it's a cancer that is consuming the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable what's being allowed in the and parents are standing up and I've read some articles where parents who take positions on certain things are considered to be terrorists. I read an article a couple of weeks ago of a man in Texas, I believe it was Texas, attended 
a school board meeting where they were one of these books that portrayed homosexual pornography. I mean, it illustrated the acts. Two males doing what they do. Clearly illustrated. This man wanted to be sure it didn't get distributed to the school system. Then he found out that it was on the list to be allowed into the libraries. So he brought it to the school board and he started reading the pages, just reading the pages, the words that were on the pages. And they called security and had him thrown out of the school board meeting, because, not because of what he was doing wasn't true, it was because he was using profane language. He was just reading from the page. And he didn't bleep anything. So they threw him out. Mm -hmm. Do you see the hypocrisy? Lord Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. They are perpetrating lies and deception and it's indoctrination. We need to be very aware of what's going on. I, I, I appreciate teachers in the public school system, but parents need to be overseeing the children's education. They need to be, what did you learn in school today? Show me your homework. Let me help you with your homework. Parents need to be in, it's only 18 years of your life. And it's worth it. You need to be overseeing, parents need to be overseeing even if they send them to public school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, when I was in in junior high, in the seventh grade, I was not a popular kid. I was one of those weirdos who carried his Bible to school. So they thought I was weird. But there were a couple of guys who were on the basketball team, and they liked to bring the centerfolds to class and show them everybody and just laugh and snicker. And and you'd overhear him on the bus talking about all kinds of improper behavior. That was in 1968. Now our children have cell phones and the internet. And I know that parents will probably put guards and filters on their children's phone 
but that can be that can be stopped that can be thwarted that can be defeated and children are probably usually more adept than that than we are Mm-hmm. Yeah. So parents need to oversee their children's education. Verse 13. I saw or I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another, we're not going to be able to get into this, I'm going to go ahead and read it, we'll pick up here next week. Verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who was has authority over the fire and he called the loud voice with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe so the angel swung across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of of the wrath of God and the wine press was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the wine press as high as the horn's bridle for 1,600 stadia. It's high as the horse's bridle, excuse me, for 1,600 stadia. So this is just a vision of final judgment. Babylon has fallen. You better repent. Here comes judgment. Here comes the wrath of God. The visions are not actual reality but they speak about reality they describe what is actually happening and will actually happen it's just figurative language when God's judgment comes it will be swift it will be thorough it will be precise Let me finish by reading Psalm 2. You're very familiar with this, I know. And this is another picture of what is going on in this world today. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. That's Revelation in a nutshell. Any other questions? Let's pray. Father, once more we praise you. We are grateful for your mercy toward us. We rejoice in your grace. And we pray that your spirit might impress upon us the beauty of your truth as well as your displeasure with all sin with all disobedience, with all idolatry. Help us to discipline ourselves to rejoice in giving you all. To live our lives with praise on our lips and gratitude for what you have done. You have saved sinners and delivered us from the wrath and made us sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus and have promised us grace upon grace and give us all of the given us all the riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, live our lives in devotion to you in Jesus' name. Amen.